You're listening to the news on RTHK. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means some more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset class. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Monday's Money for Nothing. I'm Peter Lewis, sitting in for Renita Malhotra-Hora. Here are your headlines for today. Hong Kong and China stocks end the month as the world's best-performing equity markets. European investors retreat from negative-yielding bonds. And LinkedIn becomes the latest social media stock to tumble on disappointing earnings. We are looking at the loosest tightening cycle um, in the history, in the modern history of the Federal Reserve. It is Europe that is going to determine our interest rates further out the curve. That's Mohamed El Arian speaking about the path of US interest rates. As you return to work after a long weekend, we shall talk to our international economics correspondent Barry Wood about the US economy. We will also discuss China's Silk Road project with Ben Sinfendorfer, the founder of Silk Road Associates. And finally, we will discuss investing in wine with Altea Wine's managing director, Paolo Pong. As it's the beginning of a new month, we shall consider which investments could be the star performers this month with our regular Monday guest host, Alex Wong. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. So it's the first trading day of the month in Hong Kong. So perhaps let's do a quick review of which asset classes around the world performed the best in April. And perhaps we could get your thoughts, Alex, on what May um, holds for them. So Hong Kong equities were the third best performing asset class globally in April. The uh, Hang Seng Index rose 13%, its best monthly performance in six years, taking its gains to 20% so far this year. So what do you think, Alex? Can we expect to repeat performance in May? Oh, um... Repeating that kind of magnitude probably may, 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 be dif- may be difficult, but I think uh, we would see extension of this rally. People have been very optimistic, sir. And uh, if you look at the uh, Mondays after the breakout, actually, we only recorded one Monday, which was down, and that was triggered by news in China uh, when they are trying to regulate those uh, and better trust. But otherwise, um, people are very... Um, upbeat. Uh, you can witness the strength on every Monday, actually. Very upbeat. And I think the same in China, because the second best performing asset in April globally was Chinese equities. The uh, Shanghai Composite was up 18.5% for the month. So that takes its year-to-date performance to 37%. And um, Shenzhen is up as an astonishing 60%, making it 2015's best performing market so far. So what about Chinese stocks, Alex? What's your prediction for the month of May? Oh, also, I think uh, we will see further extension. And actually, uh, you can um, see the sector rotation in China very obviously. Um, they are they are switching out from uh, financials and and getting into those um, companies which are doing uh, business in in more economy um, related uh, sectors. Actually, so we are seeing an extension um, of the rally, and we are seeing some sector rotation. So probably we would see we will see continuation of this uh, trend. I think. Okay. And in case you're wondering, the best performing global asset in May was oil. The U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate rebounded 25% in April. Um, Alice, I can't really work out whether the rebound in oil is a good thing or not, because on the one hand, commentators say falling oil price is good for consumers. It's like a tax cut. And then we saw US, the poor U.S. GDP numbers being based on low oil because companies were cutting back on investments. So what do you think? Is, is it a good thing or a bad thing, this rebound? I think uh, this rebound uh, is a good thing. We should not see 
continuation of the fall. Um, but I think uh, uh, people would accept uh, uh, if the oil stabilized around this level, I think people would be happy. Um, right now, um, this uh, rebound actually had dampened the sentiment in, in other markets, uh, such as the U.S. Actually, the U.S. had been um, quite quite bad uh, over the last few sections, especially small cap stocks. So probably we would see some negative impact in the short term. But I think a stabilization around this level should be good. And for the sake of completion, the three worst performing assets in April were the US dollar, which fell by 3.8%, its first monthly decline in over a year, German equities, where the DAX index fell 4.3%, and wheat, which fell 8.7%. So, Alex, a falling dollar, that's, that's normally seen good as good good thing for emerging markets. Do you think that'll be the case again? Oh, yes, uh, that would be good for um, uh, the emerging markets. But I think this is just uh, some profit taking the, the Big trend actually should still be um, up for the dollar. But if you look at the bond yield, actually, um, bond has been bad uh, over the last few sections in the U.S., and that means people are, are discounting probably are discounting a, a rise, rate rise eventually. So um, I think the uh, dollar weakness actually is its only a correction um, to the rally we had weakness in the in the first quarter. So the, the dollar rally is intact. Mm. U.S. and European stock markets fell over the week. Germany's DAX index ended the week down 3%. The S&P 500 closed the week down 0.5%. Social media stocks have continued to take a battery. LinkedIn fell almost 20% after losses widened for the first quarter and it cut its projections for the second quarter. Twitter and Yelp have also seen 20% plus falls in their stock price since the release of their earnings. So what is going wrong with social media stocks such as LinkedIn? Here's RBC Capital Market its managing director, Mark Mahaney, to explain. So there were some execution errors here. They hired a lot of people. They had a huge sales force ramp up last year. And what it led to is some misallocations to accounts. And so they had a slowdown in revenue growth across all three of their segments and pretty pronounced slowdown. Town Solutions, their advertising business and in their premium subscriptions business. Then they gave this outlook for the year in terms of profitability that was 20% below their prior uh, guidance. And so therefore, a 20% cut in guidance, your stock's taken down 20%. So are there any internet or social media stocks where advertising is not seen as experimental and investors should look at the stocks? Here's Mark Mahaney again. Google, that's not social media, but that's, um, that's, uh, that's not experimental. And then Facebook. And I think most of the Facebook ads are not considered. They've, they've reached enough mass, and, they have enough mass and scale with advertisers and obviously with consumers that they are a must-buy on the Internet. But there's only really two must-buys on the Internet to date. Uh, that's uh, Facebook and Google. Tesla Motors has launched a Tesla Energy line of batteries designed for homes, businesses and utilities in a bid to help spread the use of renewable energy, particularly solar power. Called the Powerwall, the battery comes in two sizes and a range of colours that can be mounted on the side of a garage wall. The battery can store surplus solar energy not used at the time it is generated and then use that energy later when the sun is not shining. So can Tesla change the way we use energy? Here's Matlin Patterson Global Advisors, Mark Patterson. He's covering a broad topic there from helping a billion people in, in poverty to something you plug into, your, into the wall. Obviously, over time, the more we switch to alternative energies, especially at our homes where we can suck the energy out of the sky as opposed to depend on an electric power utility to bring electricity to your house and then you load up your battery. If you're doing that, you're doing it's not green. So there's a bit of a game being played here with the words are a little glib, but the marketing's brilliant. And over time, it's the right thing to do now because we can't get there in one step. But over 10 years, these movements will be profound. Today, they're, they're a little bit of a stretch. Tesla Motors shares remain virtually unchanged on Friday after the announcement. 
So let's bring in now Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent on the phone from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Peter. So, Barry, would you be tempted to put a Tesla solar-powered battery on the side of your house? Yes, I would. I think that... Uh, <laughs> I think that Elon Musk, the South African-born... Um, uh, how do you call him? Entrepreneur, crazy man, uh, inventor, is um, profoundly significant. I think what he's doing in space, what he's doing with batteries, what he's doing with electric cars, it really does mirror his admiration for Thomas Edison. And, of course, the company is named for Nikola Tesla, the Serb who spent most of his time in the States. So, I mean, the guy is on to something, but I thought your last... Uh, your last sound was, was very good because 10 years off, probably. But it's all happening now. That battery factory is under construction in Reno, Nevada. So I think it's very significant. So maybe in 20 years' time, we could be talking about Elon Musk in the same way that we regard someone like, I don't know, Bill Gates or, or Warren Buffett in terms of their entrepreneurism. I think it's possible. It's, uh, you know, these things, these people tend to be very meteor meteoric. Uh, you know, they, they mercurial. They, they, can, they can rise and fall very quickly. But I think that uh, Elon Musk and his colleagues in Palo Alto have, uh, have uh, developed quite a reputation. I mean, you know, their rockets are reaching into space very successfully. And he, ne he very nearly had that uh, rocket come down from SpaceX and, and be reusable on some, you know, device out in the Atlantic Ocean. So he's, his record is pretty impressive, wouldn't you say, Peter? I think so. Um, I, 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 he's a man certainly full of ideas, that's for sure. So, Barry, we haven't had a chance to talk with you about first quarter US GDP, which came in last week at 0.2%. Uh, much lower than forecast. This can't just be weather-related, can it? What, what, what's your explanation for, for why it was such a disappointment? Well, I wish I had a, an explanation, um, but I suppose I could hide in the Federal Reserve because they don't really have an explanation either, except to say that it was transitory, <laughs> whatever that means. We did have a very bad first quarter a year ago. So the fact that it was a surprise, I know Alex has got views on this because he studies these things really hour to hour. But let's just say that the markets uh, responded negatively initially and then bounced back. We had a big rally on Friday. I don't think that it is uh, signaling a weak U.S. economy. I think, in fact, the uh, U.S. economy is, is getting better, but uh, I would be eager to know what Alex thinks. So, Alex, do you have a, an explanation? Oh, of course, uh, this is difficult because uh, uh, the first quarter, probably you can blame the weather and blame the West Coast thing, but I think uh, it is a too weak. But uh, if you look at the bond market reaction and the stock market reaction, then probably people are not too worried yet, as, as Barry had pointed out. Uh, the bond had been under selling pressure for consecutive sections now. And then the U.S. market just rebounded after the, 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 the month started. So that means the um, selling towards the end of the month, probably it's just some position um, uh, repositioning only. So, I mean, the first quarter, it, it has a bit of a, a history of actually coming in uh, below forecast. I mean, if we look at the last five years, first quarter GDP has averaged about 0.5%, whereas for all the other quarters, it's averaged about 2.9%. So, so, Barry, do you think it, it's the same story again and we should expect a rebound yes, this quarter? Yes, I do, uh, Peter. I, I think that um, what Alex mentions about the, the slowdown or strike at the West Coast ports clearly is a big factor, and that wasn't present a year ago. 
So, you know, this, this uh, slowed everything down, the whole logistics chain. But we've got to see a string of data. Now, I, 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 I do find it interesting that the yield on the 10-year has gone up to 2.12%. That's really quite a jump. But if you look at a chart, that only takes you back to where you were, say, a couple months ago. But uh, clearly, wouldn't you say, gentlemen, that we're not going to have any interest rate rise in the States until probably September? What, what do you think, Alex? Do you think uh, September or maybe not even at all this year? Well, I think uh, September. But uh, if you look at the market right now, uh, probably people are already uh, adjusting their positions uh, on this expectation already. Yeah. So if you look at deeper into the numbers, there was something a little bit concerning. That was the, the inventory build, which was at a record um, level. And if that, if that was stripped out, GDP would have come in at minus 2.5%. So given that inventory has got to be worked off at some point, is, is that a concern? Barry? Well, I think it's a concern, but, you know, there's so much in these numbers. I mean, you know, look at uh, autos. I mean, this is a very good year for autos. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit flabbergasted. I don't really have uh, any sensible comment. So uh, there's an economic forecaster that we've talked about um, before here on Money for Nothing and it's, who turned out to actually be surprisingly accurate, and that's the Atlanta Fed. Normally central banks don't uh, make p- particularly good economic forecasts, but they've been running this GDP now model and predicted first quarter GDP would come in at 0.1%. And it's now started making... Um, its forecast for the second quarter is predicting 0.9%. So if that comes to pass, it means growth for the first half will be just um, 0.5%. That's going to be a big disappointment, isn't it, for investors in the markets, if that's actually what happens? Well, I do think that would be a big disappointment, and it would also confound the forecasters at the International Monetary Fund, who, in my, uh, from my vantage point, I, I put the most credibility on. They're looking not just at the U.S., of course, but the globe. But, you know, they're looking for close to 3% on the year for the USA. And, uh, my goodness, if we get another weak number in the second quarter, then, you know, certainly we're not going to have any rate increase for the rest of the year if that's going to happen. And I think uh, people will be talking about, uh, you know, whether we're headed for another slowdown or another recession and certainly a stock market correction. But I just hope that's not going to be the case. I don't see signs of it. And the U.S. dollar, now that that started to weaken, that presumably will help, won't it, GDP to rebound? Well, I think it's going to help. I think that uh, we were in a kind of not a bubble on the dollar and uh, on oil, but you know this this was this was worrisome. You you had you know really a collapsing oil price and a rising dollar. The dollar we know from the corporate results had affected United States companies and their exports, and it is likely to have an impact over the next three months as well. But I do think that's a positive development that the oil market has strengthened and that the dollar has weakened. I see the euro is now at $1.12. Look, that's not a very strong euro, but that's a lot better than the 105 or 106 that we touched a few weeks back. And, and what does that mean out here, Alex, if, if the US dollar continues um, on, a, on a sort of lower trend? What, what does that mean for the economy here in uh, Hong Kong, China? Oh, of course, uh, that would be a uh, good thing because uh, we had a uh, slowdown in tourism already because of this. But I think, uh, as I've said, uh, this is uh, just a correction to the uh, strong rally in the first quarter. I don't think uh, we would see a very uh, strong uh, downtrend in the U.S. dollar. I think uh, we just uh, this is just a correction to the rally in the first quarter. 
Now, Barry, you, you mentioned rates um, rising in the States. They're also rising as well in, um, in Europe. In fact, there's been quite a big sell-off there in, in German Bunds, which were almost going into negative territory just a couple of weeks ago and, and are now trading around about 30 basis points. But why is that? If, if everyone thinks that rate rises are, are moving further out into the distance, why are we also seeing at the same time this, this big sell-off in bonds, in Treasury bonds and European bonds around the world? Well, I don't know uh, about whether it's a big sell-off. I know what you say is correct. Uh, look, Europe is unique in the sense that they've got lots of problems, really, all beginning with the letter G in Greece. And uh, that is unresolved, even though the news this week has been, you know, improved. But uh, I had a conversation at the uh, Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting with a Swiss money manager Actually, he was in insurance as well. And he was telling me how this negative interest rate at the Swiss National Bank really works. He said that the average Swiss saver, and, you know, Swiss people like Germans tend not to be equity investors. They tend to be bank savers, is not really impacted because they're just putting their money in the bank and for safekeeping. They don't really care if the interest rate is uh, zero, which it is now. But he said that for his company, it's very worrisome because if he pays, if he deposits more than 50,000 Swiss francs in any institution, they have a negative interest rate. They have to pay for that. Therefore, he has to diversify because if he's dealing, say, with 100 million or a million Swiss francs. He can't put them all in one bank because he doesn't want to get a negative interest rate. He was very concerned, and of course he had no answer as to what this all meant. So you, you attended the, uh, the, the Berkshire Hathaway annual general meeting. I think, was it 40,000 investors, shareholders uh, <laughs> attended there, so one of many. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are normally good for a few memorable quotes there. Did they, did they have anything to say that stuck in your mind this time? Yes. Uh, China's the greatest success story in... Uh, of our time. Really? Uh, okay. That's good. Uh, Germany, um, they uh, work less than we do and produce more. Uh, any uh, firm that hires an economist has one too many employees. Uh, <laughs> what else? Uh, they love their work. They show no sign and said nothing about retiring, even though Munger is 91 and Buffett will soon be 85. It's absolutely unique. You know, this is a, a kind of Woodstock. I, this was my fifth meeting. But, Peter, I, I'm, I'm amazed that there are so many young people show up there now. And I, so many Chinese people, not so much people who are coming all the way from China, but living in the States, studying in the States, studying in Canada, who come all the way to Omaha. And a lot of Europeans come right over for the meeting. So I thought it was outstanding. And the fact that Buffett gave away last year, gave away, $2.8 billion. Uh, a questioner from the floor said, Mr. Buffett, uh, you're going to give away 90% of your wealth. He corrected him. He said, no, I plan to give away 99% of my wealth. No, it was great. I wish I could have been there. Thank you very much, Barry. That's our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, on the phone from Washington, D.C. Let's take a quick look at the markets in Asia. Japan is um, closed this week for the Golden Week holiday, but Australia's open. The ASX uh, 200 is virtually unchanged, down just half a point. Uh, in Seoul, the Cosby is up uh, seven points. And in the currency markets, the U.S. dollar is trading at 120 against the yen, and the euro is at 1.11 uh, um, against the U.S. dollar. From April 1st, 2015, plastic shopping bag charging will be fully implemented. All plastic shopping bags will be charged at 50 cents each or more. Exemptions will apply to certain plastic bags to protect food hygiene. 
such as plastic bags used to wrap unpacked food or when the packaging is not airtight. Free plastic bags may also be provided for chilled or frozen food. Useless, wasteless. Bring your own bag when you shop. This is Money for Nothing on RTHK Radio 3, where the time is 8.23. China's President Xi Jinping has promised to build a new Silk Road and in an important first step has committed to fund $40 billion worth of Silk Road infrastructure projects. Joining us now to discuss the project is Ben Sinfendorfer, the founder of the appropriately named Silk Road Associates. Good morning, Ben. Morning. So, Ben, this isn't the first time that someone has proposed rebuilding the region's trade links from the Middle East to China. What's different about this proposal from China? China has the economic gravity to make a real difference. Uh, China is by far the region's largest economy, accounting for nearly 40% of total output. So, whatever she decides to do will have a real impact, particularly on smaller neighbours. And the, the idea of a Silk Road, when you talk about a Silk Road, is, is that a, a sort of a brand almost in people's minds that, that, that could be leveraged? Do people respond when you travel around the region and mention Silk Road? You know, it's one of the world's most powerful brands, perhaps bigger than uh, Disney or Coca-Cola, wherever I am, whether speaking with an Egyptian a taxi driver or a Chinese policy official, everyone instantly understands what you mean when you talk about the Silk Road. It's part of the region's cultural tapestry, and China was very clever to tap into that, uh, and insofar there's been a very constructive response from almost every country in the region. And, and what sort of things will that $40 billion fund be spent on? Well, we, here's the challenge. Um, and uh, the reason that uh, infrastructure perhaps is uh, weaker than you might hope across much of the region is partly because of a shortfall of capital, but it's uh, also because of other regions, such as uh, 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 political infighting or bureaucratic red tape. And so it's not clear whether China will be able to resolve uh, all of those problems. And so the infrastructure rollout will probably be a little bit smaller than we expect and uh, will be perhaps most powerful uh, in very small countries uh, that are perhaps less significant to the global economy. And, and how will this affect things like transportation links, for example? Is that going to make a, a difference to particularly some of these smaller economies uh, around the region and, and connect them um, you know, more with, uh, with, the, with the wider Asia region? Look, it will improve connectivity between China and those smaller countries. Uh, wh- whether it recreates a, a single route, if you like, uh, is less clear. And even whether that's necessary is less clear. Uh, uh, sea freight will still remain the dominant form of transport. Uh, land freight uh, uh, between China and Europe is is growing, but it's uh, still a very uh, marginal fraction uh, of uh, total global freight and will likely remain so simply because of higher costs uh, and because the issue isn't so much uh, infrastructure. It's the fact that uh, trucks and goods get stuck at borders while uh, customs officials uh, uh, mess about. So, so, Alex, what do you think? A, a new Silk Road? Is, is this something that, that captures your imagination? Oh, um, I think in the meantime, people and I, well, I would, would be focused on those infrastructure pays only because this is the initial stage. And we are not, um, that, we are not going into those trade related uh, stocks uh, in the meantime. We are just uh, focusing on the infrastructure building right now. And, and China's involvement in this project is presumably very important. Without, without China, there will be no hope of, of, of this sort of coming to fruition. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, and, and the point is uh, we would have uh, the receivable problems in the past. But right now, uh, probably uh, with the um, with, with new bank set up, I think probably that would reduce that risk. 
So, Ben, you mentioned some of these smaller economies that the, the, the Silk Road could pass through. Economies like Laos, Tajikistan, Bangladesh, they, they have GDPs that are smaller than quite a lot of the provinces in, in China. So, so how can the size and the, and the scale of China help try and make some improvements to these small economies and, and benefit the people in them? Well, what exactly, as you've just pointed out, uh, uh, countries such as Bangladesh, Cambodia, Laos, Mongolia, Myanmar, Pakistan, Tajikistan, collectively they have a smaller GDP than what Guangdong province itself invests uh, uh, in its own infrastructure. So uh, here China can make a huge difference, of course, because uh, what is small to China is uh, relatively large for these countries. But the important point is that uh, the Silk Road policy will not support or offset China's own slowing economy. Uh, there is only little support these uh, smaller countries can provide. So the greatest benefit will be to individual stocks, such as uh, China State Engineering uh, Construction Company, uh, which uh, is already a major uh, constructor of these sorts of infrastructure uh, projects abroad. So you mentioned some specific companies there that, that, that could benefit. Is this going to be a benefit for larger companies or can smaller companies, do you think, uh, benefit from this as well, small to mid-sized companies? Larger state companies, uh, you've already seen in the Middle East, some of these smaller state companies have actually had to pull out over the last few years, largely because they bid too low on projects and delivered uh, delivered um, uh, uh, finished goods that were less uh, of a lower quality than what were expected. Uh, so I think it'll be the larger state companies companies. More interesting, though, will be how the private sector responds. So companies such as uh, Xiaomi, I think, uh, very interesting. Seven out of ten of the countries that they're focused on uh, are Silk Road countries, one of which, of course, is India, uh, which is a very large market in the region. Uh, so it's the private sector that ultimately uh, will make this uh, a sustainable uh, uh, opportunity. So Xiaomi is already quite well known in, in some of these countries, but some of the, uh, some other Chinese companies, are, are they already active in, in these economies and their products already known in those countries? They are, they are to some extent, mainly where they've been imported uh, by traders from those countries. So what really, uh, the, the Silk Road policy is a challenge for the private sector. Many of these uh, smaller private companies really need to develop their uh, marketing distribution uh, capabilities, particularly across the emerging markets, uh, much as we've seen from Korean or Japanese mid-sized companies. So uh, it will be a real test of the strength or the ability of the private sector and the mid-sized private sector to go global. So it's a, a fascinating project, which we're going to have to watch more closely on Money for Nothing. Thank you very much, Ben. That's Ben Sinfendorfer, founder and managing director of Silk Road um, Associates. Let's take a final look at the markets. Um, the uh, Australian ASX is now up uh, seven points. That's 0.13%. In, in Seoul, the Cosby is up uh, two points. In the commodity markets, gold is up uh, $2.8, trading at $11.77 per ounce. And Brent crude oil is trading at $66.50 a barrel. So, Alex, what do you think the markets are going to be uh, focusing on this week? Well, I think uh, right now we are too upbeat. So that means uh, we are not uh, too um, focusing on other data right now. But uh, we probably need to see the uh, U.S. Uh, Treasury action because um, right now um, the bonds have been down for consecutive um, sections already. So that means that people actually are discounting a rate rise this year. And that may, be, uh, that may have some impact on, on other markets and also Hong Kong uh, high-yield stocks especially. So I think uh, we probably need to see the uh, uh, U.S. data and how the bond market reacts. So um, that, I think, uh, is uh, one X-factor uh, this week. So watch bond yields. Thank you very much, Alex. Yeah. That's Ample Capital's Alex Wong, our regular Monday morning guest host. I'm Peter Lewis, wrapping up Money for Nothing today. Before we go, the weather is 
in uh, Hong Kong. It's going to be mainly cloudy with isolated showers, hot with sunny intervals during the day, and the maximum temperature will be around 31 degrees with moderate southerly winds. The relative humidity right now over the observatory is 84%. And now the half-hour news with Samantha Butler. Around 100 United States Marines have arrived in Nepal to help transport aid to the more remote communities hit by last week's earthquake. They were accompanied by six military aircraft, including a Chinook helicopter. Relief and emergency teams have now managed to reach some of the more isolated villages. Three women were found alive in the rubble of their home. Italian Coast Guards say nearly 6,000 migrants trying to reach Europe have been rescued from the Mediterranean Sea since Saturday morning. A Coast Guard spokesman said 17 separate rescue missions were currently taking place in what's thought to be the biggest operation of its kind this year. Melissa Fleming, spokesperson for the UN Refugee Agency, welcomed the expansion of rescue efforts. We've absolutely seen uh, an increase in numbers of rescue boats um, by governments and also by um, private initiatives, merchant vessels. This is the season when people take to the seas. They were doing it um, even on much more dangerous conditions uh, over the winter. But now there are many more um, and many more people who are ready to leave a very uh, uncomfortable and dangerous environment in Libya. The mayor of the American city of Baltimore has lifted a nighttime curfew imposed following protests over the death of a young black man in police custody. The curfew